What makes a good leader? As I look around this sanctuary, I see a room full of leaders. If you're a, a parent, you know, you're a, a leader of your children. If you're a, a business owner, you're a leader of your company. If you're a, a lawyer, you're a, a leader of your clients. If you're a doctor or a nurse, you're a, a leader of your patients. If you're a, a teacher, you're a leader of your students. If you're a young person in school, you can be a leader of your peers. What makes a good leader? Well, in our New Testament text that Gary read just a moment ago, you can see that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who are part of Jesus' inner circle, come to Jesus and they, they seek positions of authority. They want to be good leaders. And so they ask Jesus, can we sit at your left hand and at your right when you come into your glory? You see, James and John have been with Jesus for a very long time, three years now, and, and they've seen him do some incredible miracles, and they believe he is the Messiah who's come to, well, to save the world, and, and also he's the one who's going to reclaim the throne of, of Israel. And so as they head towards the city of Jerusalem, they're like, Jesus, when you come to your kingdom, when you come into your glory, let us sit at the left hand and at the right hand, because those were the two most important positions in the first century in a king's cabinet. Is leadership simply about positioning? It's interesting, uh, John Maxwell, who's kind of a contemporary uh, guru on leadership, actually says that leadership is influence. Leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. It's simply about influence. In fact, he likes to joke that, uh, you know, if you think you're a leader and you turn behind and no one is behind you, then you're simply going for a walk. Leaders influence others to follow them. They, they are able to influence others to, to mobilize them, to act, to do certain things. So is, is a good leader someone who can influence a lot of people to do what they want done? Well, I don't think so. I don't think that's, I think it's a limiting definition of, of, of a good leader because, well, we can think back on history and see that Hitler was a, was a great influencer of people. He influenced the entire nation, the nation of Germany, to, to attack Poland and then France and then England, and then, of course, Russia as well. And, and Hitler was able to influence thousands of Germans to kill millions of Jews. No, he was not a good leader. He was an evil leader. What makes a good leader? It's interesting, uh, in 2017, C-SPAN uh, did a survey of almost 100 historians and presidential biographers, these American historians, and they, they came up with 10 criteria uh, for presidents. And here were the 10 criteria to measure the success uh, and the effectiveness of a past president. Number one, public persuasion. Number two, crisis leadership. Number three, economic management. Number four, moral authority. Number five, international relations. Number six, administrative skills. Number seven, relations with Congress. Number eight, vision setting and agenda. Number nine, pursued equal justice for all. And number 10, performance within the context of their times. As they surveyed 100 American historians and presidential biographers, guess which president was rated based on these 10 criteria as the number one president in the history of our country? Guess which one? What to say? Lincoln, yes, it was Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was number one. George Washington was number two. And Franklin Delano Roosevelt was number three. If you remember, FDR was the president of our country during the Great Depression. And he died at the, uh, at the very early stages of his fourth term as he was leading our country through World War II. The story is told that on April 12, 1945, Vice President Harry Truman was ushered into the White House. He was invited to come to hear and to learn that President Roosevelt had just died. 
At 5.30 p.m., he came into Eleanor Roosevelt's sitting room, and the first lady looked at Harry Truman and said, Harry, the president is dead. Shocked to hear this news and worried about the first lady, Harry Truman said, well, is there anything I can do for you? And Eleanor Roosevelt smiled and said, is there anything we can do for you? For you're the one who's now in trouble, for you alone must lead this country. It's lonely at the top. Harry Truman had gone from vice president, unaware of much of what Roosevelt had been doing in the, in the, uh, for the war, to becoming president, becoming the, well, the man where the buck stops here, right? And he too is rated high. He's actually number six on the list of presidents according to this poll. What makes a good leader? Because we're all leaders in some way. We all have areas of influence where we're trying to influence others for good. To see what made King David such a good leader for the kingdom of Israel, I would encourage you to turn in your Red Pew Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. It may be found on page 328, so that we can see how David was a good leader and what we can learn from him and we can follow in his example. 2 Samuel chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, and I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open throughout the message as I make reference to the text. But before we read God's word again, let's call upon his spirit to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as he pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you, Lord, for this story of David that we have in your holy, inspired word, a story that can still instruct us today. So God, I pray that by your spirit, as we read this story, that you might open our eyes and open our ears to hear what you want us to hear so that we might be the good leaders you're calling us to be. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Second Samuel chapter five, beginning with verse one. Listen to the word of the Lord. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, you will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking, David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David, And David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. Therefore it is said, the blind and lame shall not come into the house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from the millow inward. And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and cedar trees, also carpenters and masons who built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established his king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to look again at that first verse we just read, 2 second, uh, Samuel 5, verse 1. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron. Now, why is David in Hebron exactly? Well, to find out, we have to put this in this greater context. If you turn just to the left, uh, just a, a page, you can get to 2 Samuel chapter 2, and you read how David came to Hebron. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, I would encourage you to cur- turn there if you can in your Red Pew Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, we read, After this, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, To which shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household. And they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Now, as you remember, David was from the tribe of Judah. And so David inquires, after, after winning battles, he's like, Lord, where shall I go? And this is one of the principles of, of leadership, of a good leader is one who, well, who walks with God in such a way that they talk with God, they listen to God, and they do what God calls them to do. Notice that David takes the time to, to really talk to God, to say, Lord, where would you have me go? And God says, should I go to one of the cities of Judah? And he, and he says, yes. God says, yes. And then he, he asks yet again of God, well, which city specifically? And God says, Hebron. If we want to be the kinds of people who, who lead people well, who are good leaders, we need to be kind of people like David, who walks with God, talks with God, and listens to God regularly so that we might do the will of God. You know, I imagine many of us talk with God, but how good are we at taking the time we need to listen to God? It's interesting, in, in preparation for the men's retreat, which is uh, October 11th to 13th, Scott's going to talk about it here in a moment. Men, if you haven't already signed up, I would encourage you to do so. It's going to be a great time in the mountains of northern New Mexico as we talk about what it means to walk with God, specifically as men today. But uh, as I've been doing preparation for this, I've been reading a book by John Eldridge called Walking with God. John Eldridge is a Christian counselor who's best known for a book called Wild at Heart. Uh, he has a men's ministry that's very successful. And in his book, though, this new book I'm reading called uh, Walking with God, John Eldridge encourages all of us to, well, to spend more time talking with God throughout our day and listening to God. It's so important that we listen to God. Do we take the time we need to really listen to God, to be still and to know that he is God, to hear what God may have to say to us today? Now, Eldridge points out that one of the things that can inhibit us from really listening to God is actually sin. If we have some unconfessed sin in our lives, we need to confess that sin. That's why I'm so grateful that every Sunday in this service, before we begin to hear the word of God, we take a time to to pray a prayer of confession, to confess our sins so that we can rightly hear the word of truth and be transformed by that. Sin can hinder us from hearing the word of God well, and so we need to begin by confessing our sins. But one of the best prayers that we find in all of Scripture to encourage us to, to hear God is actually found in 1 Samuel chapter 3. You may remember the story in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Samuel, one of these, just a, a young boy, is, is living and, and serving in the, in the uh, tabernacle uh, with pr- the Eli the priest. And one night while he's sleeping near the ark, he hears the Lord say his name Samuel. Well, Samuel runs to Eli the priest and says, yes, you, you called me, Lord. And Eli said, no, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. This happens three different times. Eventually, Eli the priest realizes that it's the Lord who's calling Samuel. And so he tells Samuel, the next time you hear your name, simply say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. 
Can you say that with me? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. If we want to be the kind of people who hear God speak to us, we need to pray. We need to pray prayers of confession to confess our sins so that we might hear God well. And then we need to say, Lord, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I actually did this a couple of weeks ago. It was interesting. I, was, uh, I had a lunch appointment that had been scheduled a while back, and, and for different reasons, it got canceled. And so here I was on a, a Tuesday, not knowing where I was going to eat lunch. Well, my knee-jerk reaction is to call my wife, Sarah, because I love having white, uh, lunch with Sarah. It's one of the reasons I married her. Uh, I like having meals with her. And so I called her, and she already had a lunch appointment. So I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? Well, I've been reading this book by John Eldridge, you know, Walking with God. And he says, if you don't know what to do, say, pray and say, Lord, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Tell me what you would have me do. So I, I did. I said, I just prayed. And I said, Lord, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to eat lunch? Now, I sat there for a moment and quietly listened, and then all of a sudden, Chipotle was impressed upon my heart. <laughs> now, I've got to be honest with you, I wasn't sure if that was my stomach or the Lord, but I thought, hey, good choice, I'll go to Chipotle. So I got in my car and drove to Chipotle, which is on Georgia, and when I arrived, Chipotle was almost empty. There were about three or four people, which is kind of unusual. If you go to that restaurant, it's usually pretty full during the lunch hour, but there were only three or four people. But what was most remarkable is that in the middle of that restaurant, among the three or four who were, who were already there, was a member of our church. And what's most remarkable is that literally the day before, Murray had told me I should call this man because he's got a lot going on in his life and we should connect and try to have lunch. Lord, where would you have me have lunch? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. God told me to go to Chipotle because he knew where my friend was eating and that we needed to have one of those divine appointments. A good leader, like David, is one who walks with God talks with God, listens to God, and is willing to do whatever God calls him to do. He's willing to follow God's lead specifically. Notice in our text, when the people of Israel come to David to make them king, notice what he says to them in verse one and two. He says, behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel and the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. The Israelites knew that uh, David had been called by God to be a shepherd of Israel, to be a prince over Israel. A prince, not a king, but the prince. So if David is the prince, who is the king? Yahweh, the Lord, he is the king. A good leader humbly walks with God in such a way that they, they regularly talk with God, they listen to God, and they do whatever God calls them to do because they know that, well, that God is ultimately their king. God is the one that they are going to ultimately be accountable to and, and how they led God's people. And notice in our text, what is the first item of, of business that David decides to do when he's anointed as the new king of Israel? We read that he decides to, well, to, to conquer the city of Jerusalem that is inhabited by the Jebusites. Now, strategically, this is a brilliant move because, well, he had been living in, 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 in uh, Hebron, and Hebron was a city of the tribe of Judah, and he was from the tribe of Judah, and he could have led from Hebron, but then the other tribes of Judah would not have been as well-connected because, well, Hebron is located 23 miles southwest of Jerusalem. It's in the, 
It's in the midst of the Judean hills. It, it's been, it's, it was the city where Abraham, in Genesis chapter 13, decides to, to settle after he separates from his nephew Lot. Yes, yes, Hebron was an important historical city, but, but if he stayed in Hebron, then it would look like it was well, just the tribe of Judah that he was leading. He needed to find a, a neutral site where the entire people of Israel, all 12 tribes, could rally around him and, and help lead and serve together. And then he goes to Jerusalem a city that was believed to be impenetrable because, well, Jerusalem's on a hill and it, and it was difficult to, to conquer the Jebusites who had lived in Jerusalem. The Jebusites had lived there from generation to generation to generation because no one was able to conquer the Jebusites. That's why the Jebusites kind of mock David in our text, specifically in, in verse six that we read just a moment ago. You know, they say to David, you will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off. They're saying, David, this city is impenetrable. Even our blind and lame can ward you off. There's no way you can take over this city. You know, when you walk with God and you talk with God and you listen to God, over time, God's going to give you a vision that is above and beyond anything you could ever hope or imagine to do. If you'll remember, David was just a shepherd boy when God gave him the the vision to take on the giant Goliath when every other man was afraid to do so. And here we see that God is calling David to to take on the city of Jerusalem. The text doesn't tell us about the details of that conversation, but I'm pretty sure this idea did not come from David alone. Because David walked daily with God, I'm pretty sure that that it was God who implanted that that thought in his mind. And David was able to, to courageously take on this previously viewed impenetrable city because David knew that God was with him. As you read in verse 10 of our text, and David became greater and greater For the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. Do you know that God is with you? God is with all of us. In fact, the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, the final words that Jesus says to his people, to his disciples, is he says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. As you read in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 to 39, Paul reminds the house churches in Rome that, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. As Paul goes on to explain in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that our bodies through faith in Christ are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. And as John the Apostle reminds us in his first letter that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Yes, as Paul reminds Timothy, God does not give us a spirit of timidity but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. Yes, the good news of the gospel is that through faith in Christ, Christ is now in us, the hope of glory, as Paul explains to the Colossians. Nothing can separate us from God's presence. He is always with us, leading us. If we will just listen to him. Do we take the time we need to to walk with God, to talk with God, to listen to God, so that we might hear the God-sized vision that the Lord has for us, so that we might humbly do what he, he calls us to do as his people? And if we do, we will see that ultimately God has put us in positions of power, positions of influence, so that we might serve others. Notice verse 12 of our text. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. David did not become king for his own glory or for his own fame or so that he might be written into the annals of history. No, David knew that he'd become king for the people of Israel. In fact, let's go back to what the people had said to David when they invited him to be their king. They knew that God had called him. Specifically, he said, you shall be shepherd of my people, 
Israel. David, as a shepherd boy, knew what what a shepherd has to do. A shepherd exists for the safety and the sake of the sheep. The shepherd is there to to serve the sheep, to, to help protect the sheep, to even lay down his life to save the sheep if he has to. And isn't that what Jesus did for us, the good shepherd? Jesus, who was without sin, came to this earth and Well, he died as the perfect sacrifice on a cross for our sins so that that we might be saved. He literally laid down his life for us. He who is without sin became sin for us. As we read in Galatians chapter three, cursed is he who is hung on a tree. Jesus became a curse for us so that our sins might be atoned for once and for all. As Jesus says in the gospel of John while hanging on the cross, it is finished. Our sins have been atoned for. And in Jesus Christ, we are given new life. We are given eternal life if we will simply follow him. You know, it was interesting, Time Magazine in, uh, in 2013 did a study of the greatest leaders in the history of the world. And as they interviewed different historians and, and looked at all of the influence and the impact that different people have had throughout the history of the world, the person who's had the greatest influence, the greatest impact the world has ever known, the greatest leader of all is Jesus. Jesus is at the top of the list. And these were non-Christians recognizing the influence that Jesus has had. For Jesus, if you remember the story, was born in a a lowly manger in a small town called Bethlehem. Amongst these humble circumstances, eventually he was raised as as a carpenter in Nazareth. He was baptized in the Jordan, tempted in the wilderness, preached in Galilee, betrayed in Gethsemane, crucified on Calvary, but on the third day he rose again, conquering both sin and death on our behalf. And even non-Christians have to recognize the impact that Jesus has had on the world. For he's the greatest leader the world has ever known. He is the good shepherd who laid down his life for all of us here today. Yes, if we want to be a good leader, we've got to walk with Jesus. We've got to talk with Jesus. We've got to listen to Jesus to hear the vision he has for our lives so that we might do all that we can for the sake of his kingdom. And as we listen to Jesus, Jesus will show us how to serve others to the glory of his name. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this model of leadership that we find in David, a man who was after your own heart, who walked with you daily, who talked with you, who listened to you, who, who was obedient to your call who was able to see the visions that you had for him, whether it be killing the giant Goliath or uniting the people of Israel at the city of Jerusalem or eventually helping, making preparations and plans to build a temple of worship for you in that city of Jerusalem. God, help us to be the kind of people who, like David, walk with you and talk with you and we listen to you and we humbly obey you, doing what you call us to do so that we might live into the vision you have for our lives so that we might be the kind of people who serve others to the glory of your name. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people said, amen.